Good morning, Boker Tov. It should be a good morning. A Boker Tov. We should have Besoros Tovos. Today should be the day of the decisive victory. Hostages being brought home. Our soldiers coming home. Should be a good day for Am Yisrael. I want to thank our generous Emuna series sponsors, Dr. Zavi and Bella Morgan. I met their son when I was in Israel last week. I still have not met them in person. Would you believe it? Incredibly generous sponsors. Amazing. Helping broadcast Emuna to the world. And they're incredible. But I met their son last week. I was so grateful for that. Memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galvin and memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Chanzer. We're very, very grateful to them. Today's year is also sponsored by Miriam Rosinger in memory of her mother's seventh year at site. Nechabas Betzal, Eishas Avram, Meir HaKoyin. She was an Auschwitz survivor, risked her life. Meir Neshama Hav and Aliyah. Very grateful for that sponsorship as well. We have a lot to catch up on. We took two weeks off. We weren't off. You're never off from Amuna, but we were off at least from the Shir. So there is a lot, a lot to catch up on. Also want to dedicate our learning today. It's a young girl from our community, a six-year-old who's desperately in need of our tefillos. Yahosh Hashanah Baschana Fredel. She should please God bounce back quickly and have a speedy, painless, and complete refuah shlema. We should hear good things and have uh, her parents should have tremendous nachas from her. So um, the reason we didn't have shit the last couple of weeks, we were in, in Israel, another incredible, extraordinary, amazing, life-changing, none of that exaggeration trip, which we've shared a little bit. We'll continue to share more of. One of the highlights for me was the opportunity to meet some of the letter writers of the letters that we've been sharing in the Amunashir. So we had an event in Yerushalayim last week. Was it last week? Two weeks ago. Beautiful, beautiful event. Incredible musicians. Amazing speakers. It was a really, really inspiring event. You can watch the whole thing online if you haven't seen it. It's well worth it. Um, and there, there were a lot of people who showed up who are part of our Amuna support group who listen regularly and came. So I met the victim of the hyenas. You remember the hyena victim? Remember the man who was attacked by hyenas in Yerushalayim? left unconscious, bloody, and when he went to the hospital and they did an MRI, they discovered a brain tumor, so the hyena saved his life. Oh, wow. He's still in need of tefillah, Hashem should give him a complete refuah shleima, but it was great to meet him and his wife. I met, remember we read the letter from the woman who runs Lev Lechayal at, near uh, Lev HaTorah, the yeshiva, they created this um, place they're sending out to soldiers, and it turned out that a soldier who needed something was the neighbor of the person, who remember that letter? She was there. I met her at the yeshiva at Lev HaTorah. You remember the Ole who missed the Yishai Ribo concert and the giveaways for Olim who moved to Israel? We met him. Uh, there's a long list. It was great. It was like, it was amazing. You know these people through their letters, they inspire our Amuna, and it was wonderful to meet them. It was incredible. So I'll share with you two Amuna emails. I'll share with you a couple Amuna stories that happened to us. And then I want to learn something. We're going to get back to Reb Chaim Shmulevitz. Chaim Shmulevitz, the shmuzan he gave for the Yom Kippur War, not the Six-Day War, the Yom Kippur War, and we're in the middle of learning that together. We'll come back to that, but we're going to take a little break to learn something else today. But first, a couple of emails. I love this email. So happy for this email. Hi, Rabbi Goldberg. I wrote to you about a year ago to thank you for the Amunah Shiurim, which had given me the encouragement and strength to revisit infertility treatments in the hope of having more children. You may remember that email as well. Someone who had given up hope, someone who had struggled. There are a few pain, few losses or a few challenges more painful we know that Imahos, our great matriarchs, Rachel Imenus and Imayin Mesa Anochi, that feeling of loneliness, of pain, of barrenness. And uh, the discussions of Amuna gave uh, her, gave this couple the hope to say, you know what, we'll try one more time. Hashem, we had a successful IVF cycle and pregnancy, and we welcomed our baby boy. Our Amuna baby is doing great, Baruch Hashem. I'm grateful I had that. 
I had the push to keep trying when I did, and we were able to bring another Jewish Nisham in the world, especially in a time of such darkness. And loss for Amisho. We gave him the name Yehuda, as we learned from Leah Imenu, Hashem has given us more than we thought possible. And also as a reminder for him to always be a proud Jew. I often hear on your shirim how Amunah helps people get through really tough times, as it did for me, but can also be a tool for bringing incredible light and simch into the world. For that, we are incredibly grateful. Thank you for giving the shirim. Blah, blah, blah. May we soon see a time when the simcha far outweighs the pain. So it's nice to get wonderful messages like that. And Mirz Hashem, all those who are trying and waiting and longing to be married, to have children, to be healed, to be whole, should all have their tefillos answered. Last week was Esti Masku, it's Esther Tilabaska, Rav Gavriel Pinchas' Yurit site. And uh, while I was in Israel, we had a gathering at the cemetery. And at the cemetery, where there are several, many people, we had more than a million, close with the Moskowitzes who wanted to be there to honor, we said to Hillam and shared some thoughts. And then I got this email. I had to share the blow story that happened today at the cemetery as I was leaving from someone who I know, I'm friendly with, who was there that day. After the Tehillim and Divrei Chizik at the cemetery for Esti, I was walking back to my car, which I happened to have parked at the front instead of driving all the way down. So if you've ever been to Eretz Achaim Cemetery, come up that hill that has a one-way road that has two-way cars going <laughs> on a windy hill. And uh, you make your way to the top of that hill and there's the, um, there's the chapel and there's a kol. Believe it or not, there's a kol that learns full-time. I don't know if it comes with the grave when you buy the grave that people will learn in your memory. There's a kol learning the full-time, the bathrooms. And then there's the main road that heads down and then to the right, you go down to where the BRS section is. So when I pulled in, I actually drove by this person who was walking with somebody else. I'd never been in my car, I would have given him a ride and wondered, why is he walking? He parked at where the, where the chapel is and he's walking all the way down. So he says he happens to have parked there. At first I was annoyed for having done that, but said to myself, clearly Hashem has a reason. Although for the life of me, I couldn't fathom what the reason could be. It's not like I was suddenly going to run into someone who needed help at the cemetery in the middle of the day. I began walking up the hill, glad that at least I was getting some exercise. As I'm walking up the road, a thought popped into my head. If I'm already here, I should go dive in a few minutes at the kever of my wife's aunt, but I didn't remember where it was. I started looking in my Google photos for a picture I took years ago. Now you know the age of the person who wrote this letter. They knew how to use Google photos to figure out a picture which would help them identify the place. How many of you would have thought to do that? Just, I'm just saying. I started looking in my Google photos for a picture I took years ago at the section marker when I heard some people walking down the road in front of me. I looked up and it was none other than two of my wife's cousins. Very random to run into them there. I asked where they, why they were there, and they said, today is our mother's yurt site. My wife's aunt, whose kever I was looking for. Perhaps I, that's why I unknowingly got the sudden urge to stop and daven by her kever. Clearly Hashem's way of working things out. They showed me where it was. I said goodbye. I went to Davin for a few minutes. When I returned to the cemetery street, I saw a third of my wife's cousins who had joined the party talking to the first two cousins. She too came to visit her aunt's kever on the yurt site without having coordinated with her cousins. And what are the odds that all of us would meet there at the same time? Clearly, Ashkach Pratis, they should have all an alias neshama and besoros tovos. So again, life is an adventure. So you say to yourself, why did I park there? Why did I give myself this walk? Why do I have to walk up the hill? Okay, I'm going to find out Hashem's adventure. Why did he put me on this path? Why am I going this way? Let's see what Hashem has in store. You could be annoyed and frustrated, frustrated and miserable and resentful and angry and forbissena and negative. Or you could say, life's an adventure. Let's see why I parked here. I don't know. Sometimes it's revealed. Often it's not. But it's a different way of living and a different way of looking. And we had several 
Ashkacha Prata stories that happens to us, and uh, then we'll get into our learning. I'll just tell you a few of them. We, um, we did a two-day BRS mission while we were there. Two days of uh, 60, 70 people. Packed bus was incredible. Really, really powerful. So we had very strict itinerary, agenda, plan, things we needed to get done. But last minute, a food situation required us to pull an audible. Last minute, we decided to stop at the, Be- at the Beit Shemesh Mall to quickly everyone get food, and then let's get back on the bus and get going. And uh, there, Yocheved noticed and pointed out to me, maybe if you, some of you saw the video I posted, I mentioned in the Parsha Shir, there was a guy working at the restaurant or the food service place we were getting some food from, covered in tattoos and piercings, no yarmulke, and tzitzis hanging out. <laughs> Yocheved said, that's unusual. <laughs> she left it at that's unusual. I said, let's go check this out. So we went up to, he's now my friend on uh, WhatsApp. We went up and asked him, like, what gives? What's the story? What's going on over here? And you can watch the video or listen to the Parsha Shri from yesterday. I told the story, but it's, an, it's a beautiful story of a beautiful soul who, as of October 7th, decided he was no longer going to hide. He, he felt this pull. He wanted to wear tzitzis. And the, not wearing a yarmulke or having tattoos and piercings wasn't going to hold him back from at least this mitzvah he felt connected to, which is the tzitzis, the strings that would remind him every day about Hashem. October 7th, he lost several friends in the, in the Nova Super, Supernova Music Festival. And he decided he doesn't care what people think anymore. And in memory of those friends, he would start wearing tzitzis. I took a little video of him, put it online. I think it's at like 75,000 views now. And the people have said to me, how inspiring to see that in him. He took something concrete on. He made a change in his life. He was not shy or embarrassed. What would people think? It was a beautiful thing. All because last minute, we had to stop at the Beit Shemesh Mall I never would have met him, wouldn't have taken that video, wouldn't have shared it, wouldn't have inspired all the people who were touched by it had Hashem not decided that we were going to take a detour and stop at the Beit Shemesh Mall. We spent uh, one of the days of the trip, we were down south, army base. We went to, um, we went to Be'eri. Devastating to walk through, to see, to hear, to listen, to learn what happened from people who experienced it, who experienced the loss of it. In a very powerful moment at the end, there's a small shul in Be'eri. It's a very small shul. There's 1,200 people who live there in a shul that probably fits 30 or 40 people. It is a very, there's no such thing as a secular Israeli today, but October 6th, there were still secular kibbutzim. They don't exist today. But on October 6th, there were still secular kibbutzim. Their shul was only founded, I think, in 2015. That's how recent it was. Um, and we went in there at the end to Davin Mincha. And Yardi, the, the wonderful, extraordinary uh, man who took us around, my second time in Be'eri, whose brother was murdered on October 7th, is the one who took us around and told that story. And I don't think ordinarily Davins, but joined us to say Kaddish for his brother was very powerful. And at the end on the Bima was still the sheet that had instructions for Hakafos. Because if you remember, oh, thank you, thank you, I'm good. It all happened on Simchas Torah. It happened on Simchas Torah, October 7th. So we decided, we said, you know, the Hakafos are still here on the Bima. Hakafos were interrupted, Simchas Torah is when 500 terrorists infiltrated Be'eri that Shabbos morning. The last terrorist wasn't purged from the kibbutz until Tuesday morning. They infiltrated, took over, took hostages, fought, killed so many. They, 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 didn't, they didn't rid the yeshuv, the kibbutz of the, of the terrorists until Tuesday morning. Mind-boggling. But at the end of our davening, we said, you know what? There are kafas were interrupted on October 7th. Let's, let's do one more. Let's finish them. Let's pick them up. And we sang and we danced. Hashem, save your people. 
with his yardi, with his hand. We danced, we continued the hakafas, continued the hakafas. Anyway, we went to Be'iri. We were supposed to have gone directly to Be'iri, but Yardi is an avocado farmer, and it was a lot of avocados that came in, and he was picking them, and he was running late to give us this tour. So we were supposed to go to Be'iri, and then go to the place of the Nova festival, but we switched the order because he was running late. We went to the place of Nova. I don't want to take the time now. We could talk about it another time. It, it was eerily similar to the feeling and the experience if you've been to Poland or Eastern Europe, of walking through Auschwitz, Birkenau, Treblinka, Majdanek, that sight, that feeling, that those woods, that forest, those memorials that are put up there, the families that are there, we were out of the order we were supposed to go. We were not on our plan. And we were there with all of our people having a very powerful experience. And all of a sudden, I saw my cousin who left his wife and many children and has been serving since October 7th, who was there October 8th and 9th fighting and helping and had been back for the first time to process and to experience, to go back to that place that that atrocity happened. And he just happened to be there when we just happened to be there, which was out of the order that we were supposed to be there. Wow. So it was another Ashkocha story. Wow. My beloved cousin Itai, it was incredible to see him. He spoke to our group a little bit. He's a very holy Jew. He's a wonderful person. And it was Hashem's plan. We had our plan, how the day was supposed to go. But Hashem, through the avocados, changed our plan so that, uh, so that we would run into Itai at the, at the Nova Festival. And the, there's many more stories. I'll tell you one more so we can get into our, our Torah learning. We went to Tel Hashemer Hospital to visit injured soldiers, injured heroes, injured giborim of Am Yisrael. And uh, there wasn't a specific plan and we didn't intrude. I wrote the article, it's very important, don't just walk into a room, don't just knock on a door, don't just show up, particularly with a large group. If you don't know that you're wanted, if you don't know that the visit is going to comfort or strengthen or help, all that's very important. So we were tiptoeing very lightly, trying to see whether it would mean something, but without imposing ourselves. But we were invited into, sort of randomly, one room of a soldier, and we were talking to him, and he said, he's from, we asked, where are you from? Bnei Nitzarim. Say, so, isn't that in Chalutza, part of Shlomit? Yes. So, you know, we're very close. We're very connected with the community of Shlomit. Our, our dear friend, Yedidya, who's actually going to be back in Boca this week. And, uh, and we know all about, we visited in the hospital several times, Michael, who's actually going to be in Boca this week as well. The previous two trips, he was still in the hospital. This third trip, he was out and in rehab. And this week, he's going to be here visiting Boca. He was shot, injured terribly on that October 7th while fighting for and protecting his community and the neighboring community of Prigan. But we spoke to this uh, young man in Tel Hashomer Hospital. We said, you know, we're connected and we just had the widow of Aviad Cohen, Donna Cohen, was in our community. Aviad Hashem Yikom Demo. He said, I know, I was right next to him when he was shot and killed. I, w I was there in that fight. He's in the hospital because he was injured as a soldier. But before he was called up as a soldier and fighting, he was at that fight on October 7th. And that was the room that we happened to randomly, randomly, randomly in all of Tel Hashomer Hospital, that soldier with whom we have a connection with his community. And if you live life with your eyes open and you're wearing your Amuna glasses, you see and you feel Hashem everywhere, everywhere. He is orchestrating and choreographing and carefully curating our lives. Get out of his way. Stop fighting back. Stop pushing back. Yes, if someone's sick, we try to heal them. Yes, we try to repair and fix that which is broken. Of course, we have to take our initiative and do everything in our power. But once we do, and things don't exactly... What do you mean the schedule has changed? What do you mean lunch wasn't arranged? We have to stop at the mall. It's going to take forever. We'll never get it back on the bus. What do you mean this room in the hospital? I want to go to that. 
You know, we think we have these plans and then we get frustrated and bent out of shape and negative and upside down. What do you mean the flight was canceled? What do you mean I'm stuck at the red light? What do you mean the person's running late and I'm sitting here by myself? What do you mean? All these things. Just relax. Take a deep breath. And ride Hashem's adventure. He's got a plan. Get out of his way. Just look at the world in that way and see what is in store for us. And that's what I really want to learn with you. While I was in Israel, I picked up because it's my addiction, the Svarim store. Very dangerous to stop at a Svarim store. <laughs> I stayed a little bit longer because I was recruiting for the yeshiva. So once Yecheva was out of the country, I was able to stop at the Svarim store. <laughs> and, uh, and there I picked up, this was a few shekel, honey. I picked up incredible new, little, we've studied Rav Meir, Rav Yitzchak Meir Morgenstern. We've studied his Bayam Darkecha many of his volumes on different topics through the years we've been going through. This was a little pamphlet that came out on Shovavim. What is Shovavim? This is the final week, at least of the first stage of Shovavim. Shovavim, the Arizal, based on Kabbalah, as a tradition that these weeks, Shmos Era Bo B'Shalach Yisra Mishpatim, the acronym Shovavim, those who return, is an acronym for Shmos Va'era Bo B'Shalach Yisro Mishpatim, those parshios, the first half of the book of Exodus, the book of Shmos. This is a leap year. We have a second Adar, so it's Shovavim Tas, Truma Tetzava. We got two more weeks. We extend it a little bit longer. But the Pasuk says, the Navi says, Shuvu Banim Shovavim. Return my children who are energized, programmed to, to come back to return. And that this is a time of the year, Masugal, this is a time of the year that is auspicious, that is designated, that is pregnant with the possibility of tremendous inspiration, aspiration, spiritual ambition. This is a time to really have breakthrough, to really work on ourselves, to really see the light, to peel back the covers, the layers, the klipos, the, the shell, and to let the light of our lives, of our neshama, of who we are and who we could be shine through. Now, you'll say, but I thought that was Elul. I thought that's Pesach. I thought that's Purim. I thought, the answer is yes. Each has a kanech. Each, has, In other words, I'll put it to you this way. Because you love your spouse on your anniversary, you don't have to say I love you the other days of the year. Because on one's birthday, they should be reflective on why they're here in this world and grateful they were born. They don't have to be grateful or feel they're on a mission any other day of the year. Of course, every day of the year is all those things. But there are particularly days of the year that are particularly those things. So yes, you should be loving and dedicated to your spouse every day. On your anniversary, don't forget it's your anniversary. You should be loving and grateful on your birthday or celebrate the birthdays of others. The carter, however, one chooses to do it. But every day of the year, you should be grateful. The birthday in particular, it should be, it should be focused. So similarly, every day is Hanukkah and Purim and Pesach and Rosh Hashanah and Shavuos and Tu B'Shvat. Every day is all those things, all those energies, all those ideas, all those efforts, all those initiatives, all those possibilities. They're present, they're possible every day of the year. But there are particular days where they're more. The energy is in that time, more available, more accessible, more auspicious, and therefore we can tap into it more. And what the Rizal taught Shuvu Banim Shovavim is that these are the days of the year Shovavim that are particularly misugal, they're particularly designated to have breakthrough when it comes to issues of bris. What is the bris? It doesn't just mean the physical bris. This is what this whole Sefer is about. It doesn't just mean the physical bris, the physical circumcision that a male undergoes on the eighth day. It means the orlas halev. The Torah uses a language that not only is are men born with a foreskin, but there's a foreskin, a covering that we're born with over our heart. 
And just like we do a bris milah, we peel back, we remove the foreskin, the covering of, of the physical body of a boy. And why is the bris particularly there on that organ? And what is the deeper message? And so on is another time. But similarly, everybody, men and women, we all have this covering over our heart. For some, it's a coping mechanism. They don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to feel. They don't want to be hurt. For others, there's their own history, which has put this covering. For others, they're cynical. They're sarcastic. They're not in touch with their emotions. For others, there's a lack of emotional intelligence, spiritual. Whatever reason that covering, we're born with the covering. We put the covering on. We've added layers of covering. But there are coverings over our heart. And just like the bris that happens to the boy, there's a bris we do on ourselves which is the removing of the orla salev, to peel back and pull back the covering of the heart so the heart can fully feel and emote and connect and experience. And the heart can, can strive and fly and blossom and go higher and higher. And the heart is filled with this light. There's a light that is each of our unique, singular, distinct neshamas. We're each a chelak mimal mamash. We're each a unique expression of divine in this world each with our own personality, each with our own story. And, and we come to see, we can love others if we bother to learn their story, to find the divine, the godliness in the other. That's why the Pasuk ends, what are the next two words? Ani Hashem. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am Hashem. Okay, we know you're Hashem. Everything in this Torah is because you're Hashem. Why specifically love your neighbor as yourself? I am Hashem. Because Hashem is saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And you know how I know you could love him? Because just like I'm in you, I'm in him. Just like you're one expression manifestation of me in this world, your neighbor is another. And some neighbors, it's really hard to find the divine. Some neighbors, it's buried really deeply. But that's why there's a mitzvah, go look and search, go peel back the layers, and go find the godliness, the divine, go find that which is redeemable, Go find that which is beautiful. Go find that which you can connect with and share in common in the other. And how do I know with confidence you can do that? Because I Hashem. Because I am Hashem. Go find that in, in the other. So these days of the year, Shovim, Shmos Ve'era Bo Mishpatim Yisrael, Yisrael Mishpatim, Shmos Ve'era Bo Bishalach Yisrael Mishpatim, we're now Mishpatim, we're the final letter of Shovavim in an ordinary year. We got a little extension because of the leap year, but Shovavim. And what is the deeper message? That's what this whole Sefer is about. And we're not going to go through the first part right now. It's a time that we particularly work on one of the layers, the klipa, that holds us back the most from the light of who we are shining the brightest is physical temptation, distraction, indulgence, impulse. For some, that's through food. For others, that's through sleep. Through others, that's through irresponsibly being shopaholics, going in debt. For others, that's through looking at images, being addicted to images and acting out and behaving on them in inappropriate ways. So it's a time particularly designated Shovim to work on Inyane Kedusha, to work on not living for happiness, but living for holiness. How can I be more holy? Who I am, how I conduct myself, what words and language I use, what I look at, what entertainment I indulge in, how I dress, how I present myself, how I appear, how I experience the world. Kedusha, holiness, however we define holiness. There's a time, Shovim designated in particular, to be reflective and to work hard on what, what prevents us, that, that klipa, that shell, that blockage, that layer, 
that's holding back our light from shining and us from experiencing the light of Hashem is the opposite of Kedusha. What's the opposite of Kedusha of holiness? Is the animal impulse. When we indulge the animal impulse in us, so we're in a bad, you know how life is filled with like good zones and bad zones? I'm in a good eating place, I'm in a bad eating place. I'm in a good time punctuality place, I'm in a bad time punctuality place. I'm in a good place being disciplined, I'm in a bad, usually it all goes together. When we're disciplined in one way, in one area, it overlaps and we become disciplined in other areas. And when we're undisciplined, we're undisciplined in our eating and our sleeping and our speaking and our dressing and our time. And it usually goes together. So this is the time that we're working on being disciplined. Be disciplined regulating ourselves, admitting that we can have some self-control and sovereignty over ourselves. And it's a time designated, Shovavim, to work on being disciplined, to work on being disciplined. So where does that all come from? Where does it all come from? That's what I want to learn now that I've taken up all of our time. Where does, so this is the end. This is the whole Sefer. And the very last parakeh, the last is Yetzias Mitzrayim. You have it in front of you, page Samach Aleph. We're going to try to fly through this. Because I want to do the whole thing this week and next week get back to Rechaim Shmulevitz. I just wanted to sneak it in because it's Parshas Mishpatim. It's the end of Shovavim. And I just picked it up, so I just learned it. Otherwise, I would have shared it earlier. And the whole earlier part of the Sefer is well worth learning too, but we're just going to get to the end. We'll skip to the end. I'm going to read very quickly. You could listen later on point five if you want. This is a time designated to work on repairing the bris. Again, the first half of the book is the bris, the physical bris for men in particular, but all of us, areas of holiness. A bris is made up, by the way, of three parts. The foreskin is removed. Then it's what's called the priya. Priya is there's a membrane between the foreskin and the organ. The membrane is peeled back. And then the third part is the goal, the purpose of the bris. If you listen carefully, usually you don't want to be that close, but you'll hear the moral declare, nizgalta ha'atara that the crown of the organ has been revealed, the three parts, and the parallel in the spiritual world of peeling back and removing the covering, the foreskin, the priya, peeling back a membrane where it's still there, but it's been peeled back, and then the light can come through. He describes it all powerfully and beautifully. What does this have to do? Letting the light shine through, being the best of who we are, feeling connected with Hashem, striving with Kedusha, getting rid of the barrier that is the material, the physical, the animal impulse in us. What does that have to do with these weeks of the year? Why isn't that true in Vayikra, Bamidbar, Dvarim? Why isn't that true when we're reading Sefer Bracious? But and what is this connection? Vinyan, who? In these weeks, we're reading in the Torah, we're reading all about the servitude and subjugation in Egypt, and the Exodus, how we were liberated, we were freed, and then Hashem gave us His Torah. We have a principle, it's so important for you to know that the parsha that we're reading that we can show is not random, it's not chance. It's not just we have this rotation of Torah portions and we happen to be reading that parsha that week. But whatever parsha we're reading that week is because that is what's happening in this world. The parsha is ma'ura the zman. The story and the energy and the message and the lessons of the parsha impact and influence the time in which we are in. So last week was parsha's Yisra, was the story of when Hashem gave the Torah at Sinai, that means that last Shabbos we were all back at the mountain. With a tremendous unity, we re-accepted the Torah again. So we're living now through again the notion of the Shibud, of what it meant to be in Egypt, and we're living through the Exodus, being liberated from it. Whatever we're reading is what we're meant to be thinking about. 
This week, Mishpatim, okay, how does that impact my life? What does that reveal to me about my life? What does that mean I'm working on in my life? It's not just random and anyone of a Dvar Torah on the parsha. wow, we're really religious, we said a Dvar Torah at the Shabbos table. It means that the rhythm of my life is so closely connected to the parsha. If I have problems in my life in that week, look for the solution in the parsha. If you want to know about your life that week, look in the parsha. The parsha. So those weeks, we are living through once again in this spiral, in this cycle where we revisit in time the same energy that historically revealed or created those events. We're back in them. We were back in Egypt. Then Hashem took us out of Egypt. We were back with the splitting of a sea. We were back standing at the mountain accepting the Torah. And we're back in Mishpatim getting this list of laws. We're not reading something historical. This way, our lives, our calendar, is entirely categorically different than the secular notion of time. Why do you, if you do, celebrate July 4th? Why do you celebrate it? Anybody celebrate July 4th? Anyone know why we have July 4th? Why do we have July 4th? In the, thank you. You went to elementary school, thank you. Independence Day. America got independence. When? For a bonus. Extra credit. 1776. When we observe July 4th, it's because we're observing that 1776, we gained independence. The fact that we're trying to honor something so historical that none of us were there, how do we actually observe it? Having nothing to do with it. Anyone here on July 4th sit down with their family and say, what is independence? How do we, why should we appreciate it? What does it mean for us? How can we have more of it? I don't know one human being who does that. What do you do? You have a contest. How many hot dogs you can stuff in your face? You have a hot dog. We're trying to get Shai to finish eating something the other day. He has this bizarre thing where he doesn't actually like eating. Not sure where he got it from. So he, he got himself all excited and he goes, okay, I'm going Joey Chestnut. I'm going to finish this. I don't know if he'll be proud or not proud that he knows that name. But when, when you're celebrating something from hundreds of years ago, it means so nothing to you now that you celebrate it with a barbecue, fireworks, and shopping. And that's essentially true for every American holiday. Shopping discounts, barbecue, fireworks. Never about the theme of the day. Compare Memorial Day in America to Yom HaZikaron in Israel. Right? Every day. In Judaism, that's not us. In Judaism, we don't celebrate Pesach because thousands of years ago we got out of Mitzrayim. We're not celebrating Shavuos because thousands of years ago we got a Torah. When we left Egypt on the 15th of Nisan, it teaches us that the 15th of Nisan is all about freedom and liberty and emancipation, and now we experience that today. We're not celebrating Hanukkah because thousands of years ago the menorah lasted longer. We're celebrating Hanukkah because what are the miracles? What's the supernatural and natural? Where's the light in our life today? Those historical events revealed that that day is designated with a certain energy, but not so that we can celebrate the historical event only because we're commemorating something in history that's ancient, but so that we can tap into that energy for ourselves today. So similarly, when we read the Parsha, we're not reading a Parsha because, oh, it's a really good history book. History is really important to us. Let's get together and review history. You'll be tested on it later. No. Why am I reading this? Because this week that I'm reading this is the reminder that I too have my own Mitzrayim in my life. I'm 
subjugated. I'm a servant. I'm a slave in the Egypt of my life. And just like Hashem took them out, He can and He does take me out. And just like they then arrived at the mountain, that was the purpose. It wasn't a freedom from, but it was a freedom to. So to my freedom from whatever's holding me back is not a freedom from something. It's a freedom to. A freedom to stand at that mountain and dedicate my life on a mission. So anything we do from observe holidays to read the Parsha is not to review a history of long ago, but to learn about ourselves and who we are and who we can be in the present. We live in the present. Any connection we make with the past is to inform and inspire our present, not because we care about the past. They never taught you that in school. They never taught me that in school. And that's why I didn't really start keeping Shabbos or Yontif until I was older. I kept it, don't worry. Don't worry, I kept it. I kept it. It was dramatic, that's, I'm a rabbi. It was dramatic. I kept Shabbos and Yontif, the shidduch is still good, don't worry. I kept Shabbos and Yontif. I don't mean I didn't keep Shabbos in, but it meant I grew up thinking that we're keeping this Yontif because of something thousands of years ago, and I don't really care about it. I cared about it, but I don't really care about it. It was thousands of years ago. What does that have to do with me? I wasn't there. I don't know anyone who was there. And, and what do I care about there when I'm here? What do I care about then when I'm now? What, what difference does it make? And if that's your connection to Yiddishkeit, I have to come to shul and listen. I just met with a teenager the other day. Parent is concerned they stop coming to shul and Shabbos. Why? As if, you know, the rabbi has a magic wand. So just wave it and then everything will be okay. But I understand that, that young person. I, it doesn't really do anything for me. I, I don't know one person who became religious because of Torah reading. You come, come to a house for a Shabbos meal, have the chicken soup, have a cholent, sit at a kumzitz, come to the fabrengen, come to the shalashidus. Kriyas Torah? I don't know anyone who's a Kriyas Torah. was unbelievable. I wasn't religious. I didn't believe in God, but I heard the Torah being read for 40 minutes, and I, that, ooh, that moved me. So if your attitude is, I'm, just, I'm, I'm hearing somebody take a history book and recite it out loud to some cantillations and connection, I don't, uh, musical notes I don't connect with, yeah, I'd also want to sleep in and stay home. But if you hear the Torah being read, and it's not a history book, but it's somebody recreating, they're on the bima because that's our Sinai. And just like Moshe was on the mountain, he's surrounded by Aaron and Hur, we have the Gabai on both sides. And we're reading this book not because we're reading and declaring the history of yesterday, but because we're screaming out, this is the message of today. You feel stuck? Hashem's here to liberate you and take you out of your stuckness. He split the sea then, and he's gonna split this sea for you of where you're stuck. You feel the world's like walls are caving in? You feel the roof is coming down? He split a sea once and he's gonna split it for you. Come, let's read this together. Let's hear right now. Let's connect to it now. That's what it's all about. Why did we have to go down to Egypt to begin with? We needed to learn and grow and redeem and repair the mistakes that Adam, that Adam made in the garden and that the Dora Mabul, the beginning of time, the beginning of creation was filled with a series of mistakes. First three stories of the Torah are all about jealousy, lust, and honor. And Hashem says, that's not why I created a world. He does a hard reset on the world, on the world. And we had to go down to Mitzrayim, to Egypt, in order to learn these lessons. And when we go through our own Mitzrayim, we say, where do I feel stuck? And how do I need to get out? What's holding me back? What is the barrier? What's the layer covering my light? How can I better connect and have this growth spurt? 
Really, this, this slavery of Egypt was not just about a physical story of slavery and bondage. There's a pnimius, there's a deeper idea here. Mitzrayim was a place of moral decay, moral decadence, moral corruption. Mitzrayim was a metropolis of everything immoral in this world. If you're curious or you wonder what that looks like, go to Times Square. Don't go to Times Square. I went to Times Square once for a rally against Iran. We were in New York one summer and I took the train in and I found myself, I didn't understand what was happening around me, why people were all excited and taking pictures. I ran the other way, but in in Times Square, people walk around with nothing but body art, (laughs) let's just say. States of dress and undress, identity, behavior, action, activity. There's just no boundaries. Mitzrayim is a place with no boundaries. Mitzar is a boundary. Mitzrayim is boundaryless. No boundaries, no borders, no, just a place of moral decay, moral decadence, moral corruption. The ultimate of indulgence in the here and now of desire, of temptation, and of lust. That's Mitzrayim. Those are the klipos. That's the opposite of bris. Bris is a covenant. Bris means I'm making you a promise. Just think about the bris of marriage as a metaphor. One stands under the chuppah and they're making a promise. And what's that promise? I will be faithful to you. I will be faithful physically. I will be faithful emotionally. I will be faithful spiritually. I will be faithful financially. In every realm and element and aspect of this relationship, I'm going to be faithful to you. So later, a person says, but I want to just use the money without telling them or not put the name on the account but I want to just have this emotional connection with someone at work. Don't worry, it'll just be emotional. But I want to physically, it's boring one person. I want to physically experience and connect and and be adventurous with others. But that's what I want. That's the animal in me desires. That's my impulse. That's my instinct. And many fall prey to it and their lives unravel. And it doesn't mean it's not only, by the way, the pathetic and unsophisticated and fools. We have a tradition that in fact, it's the opposite. The greater you are, the more creative, the greater that you are, the greater the Yetzirah that you struggle with. And we've seen that through our Tanakh, and Lahavdo, we've seen that in our times, that great and brilliant and charismatic and accomplished people, politicians and athletes and scientists and engineers, couldn't control their basic human animal impulse and threw away their lives and their legacy because they couldn't honor that bris that covenant, that faithfulness. They couldn't honor it. And they threw it all away. And we also have a covenant with Hashem. We also stood under a chuppah with Him. We did it last week, Pasha's Yisro. He held the mountain over our head and that mountain was a chuppah. You could read that as a threat or others read it as a chuppah. The mountain over our head was a chuppah. We stood under that chuppah with Hashem. In fact, many of the customs that we have at a Jewish wedding come from Har Sinai. Come from Har Sinai for another time to elaborate on those customs. The mountain was over our head, that was a chuppah, we stood under it with Hashem and we were made a promise. We're gonna be faithful to you, we're gonna honor you. Ah, but I'm gonna have an animal impulse, an animal desire. I wanna to go to Times Square, I wanna watch. I wanna peel back some layers. I don't mean the klipos, I mean the clothing. Aye, but I wanna experience, I wanna see, I wanna say, I wanna go, I wanna go do, I wanna click, I wanna... But we made a covenant, we made a bris, we made a promise. So Mitzrayim is a place where promises don't matter. Mitzrayim is a place of no faithfulness. Mitzrayim is a place of whatever... I'm already giving you the Pesach, the Torah. It's coming. 
coming. You got two others this year, so you got an extra month, but it's coming. But Mitzrayim is that place where there is no faithfulness, there is no regulating oneself, there is no striving for a higher living, but it's what I want to wear, it's where I want to go, it's what I want to watch, it's what I want to do. There is no but, I made a promise. I'm choosing what to watch. I want to watch that, everyone's talking about that, I saw the reviews of that, it's the hottest series, everybody's watching it. You know, but I made a promise to Hashem, and to myself, and to my soul. What are the images, and what are the themes, and what are the ideas? And just because everyone is, does that mean that I should? It's the capacity to stop. That's what Shovavim is. To not just press play, to not just binge watch, to not just jump on the bandwagon because that's what's in, but to say, but I made a promise. I stood under the chuppah. I made a promise to him and to myself and to the best of who I could be, and it doesn't include this. They're called Mitzrayim. Milashan Mitzar Yam. Shehem Mitzamtzmim es Yam Achachma. Mitzrayim, Mitzar is a, is, Mitzar is, a Mitzar is a boundary, a border, a siege. Yam is the sea, the Yam HaChachma. Mitzrayim is to indulge the nature. What do you mean? But it's my nature. Everyone, it's man's nature. We know it's natural. It's the natural instinct. We have an animal inside us. We're made up of two parts. We have the godly soul, the chelak elokamimol mamish, the godly soul that we have. And then we also have the animal impulse, the animal instinct, the animal in us. And the animal is our nature. It's our nature to want to hit snooze and sleep in. It's our nature to be lazy. It's our nature to want to fress and stuff our face and eat well past the point that we're full. It's our nature. For some people, it's a nature to get angry. It's a nature, it's natural to be mean. It's natural to be cynical. It's my nature. So Mitzrayim is a place that says, indulge what's natural and your nature because there is nothing above it. There is nothing capable of controlling it. So it puts a Mitzar around the Yam HaChachma. Mitzrayim, Mitzar Yam. There's a Mitzar there's a siege around the sea of wisdom, of self-control. So when you have very, very narrow vision, you can't see the light that is in everything. If a person is living in the here and now, if a person is living in a place of indulgence and impulse, if a person is living for happiness and pleasure, not for holiness, they are depriving themselves of the light, of the connection, of the deepest meaning and purpose, of the ultimate happiness which comes from living a life of holiness. Whatever you sacrifice in the happiness of the here and now, when you live for holiness, you will find greater happiness. Who is happier ultimately? And the research all bears this out. As our society shifted from a place where marriage vows and sanctity until death do us part and, and, and faithfulness, and we move to a place of everything, anyone, anywhere, anytime, do we find greater happiness or less happiness? Much less. So liberation does not in fact bring happiness, it brings the opposite. And people who practice that faithfulness, that honor, that dignity, that respect, ah, but I want and I'm curious and, and the animal in me is desiring, yeah, control it. Put it back in its cage. You don't have to indulge it. You don't have to follow it because the joy and the pleasure and that ultimately the happiness of that life of holiness defined as faithfulness is so much greater than whatever you gave up. It's so much greater than whatever you gave up. 
You know that because when you've been in a good place with your eating, you know that you, really, you saw those Cape Cod potato chips. We haven't talked about that in a while. You saw the Cape Cod potato chips. You saw the Trader Joe's corn chips. You saw the extra portion of Yechavit's potato kugel that you wanted to have. And you said, you know, but I don't need it, but I'm full. I'm full, I'm good, I don't need it. The beef jerk, you saw it. I'm good, I'm full, I don't need it. And you say no, and you walk away from that cabinet. You walk away from that refrigerator. You walk away from that serving piece. An hour later, what feels better? That you express that self-control, that you feel good about yourself, or that bag of potato chips, the corn chips, or the potato cookie? In my experience, the self-control and the discipline and the contact with the holiness of being able to regulate ourselves and be faithful to the promise we make ourselves always feels so much better than whatever we gave up in the process, than that momentary connection with our taste buds, which is fleeting and gone as soon as we're finished. Not only is it gone as soon as you're finished, it's not that it tasted really good, you, en you enjoyed it, and now you're back at neutral. Now you hate yourself. Not only do you not hold on to the pleasure of having eaten it, now you just hate yourself. So it's a net loss versus the net gain of feeling, you know, I regulate, I, I, I have control. I, I really express the best part of who I am. And that feels incredible. That makes me feel alive and awake. And that makes, makes me feel the best part of who I am. It makes me have contact with the divine, with the godly soul in me. It always feels better. It's true in our eating and our sleeping. It's true in our interpersonal communication. It's true in our marriage and our love to our spouse, to our children, to people around us. And it's true with Hashem. And that's what we're living for. Not happiness, but holiness. And when you live for holiness, ultimately you find the greatest happiness. And the world we're living in, which is revisiting Mitzrayim, we're not going forward. Technologically, medically, we're making incredible progress. AI, ooh, it's changing the world. But morally, we are regressing back to Mitzrayim. Look at this world and look at the themes and look at relationships and look at statistics. Look at, look at the data on unhappiness, antidepressants, mental health challenges. We are regress, not progress. We're going backwards, not forwards. But we've been gifted the Torah Kedosha. We've been gifted this life and this lifestyle that's helping us move forward and grow and go higher. And we're holding on to the formula and the truths that always brought the ultimate happiness, which are not the fleeting, counterfeit, inauthentic things of the moment, but the greatest truth, which is faithfulness to ourselves, to Hashem, to the people around us, to express the best part of who we are, the truest part of who we are, which is not the animal impulse and indulgence of Mitzrayim. That's the klipa. The klipa says, but just watch it, but just eat it. Just press snooze, just go back to sleep. Just experience, just experiment, just try. Who will know? That's the klipa. That's the barrier. That's the shell. That's the obstacle. That's what we're trying to remove and peel back. That's the brismila. We're trying to circumcise our heart to get that off so that the light of the best part of who we are can shine. That's the glow of the kid who goes to Israel and discovers that life is not TikTok and Instagram and status updates. Life is not followers and friends. I found something truer. I touched something deep and real inside me. And that kid, I'm talking about a kid, but you can have your gap year experience at, at 80 years old. You don't have to be a kid. But whoever and whatever stage of life, when you make that connection when you feel that true part of who you are, when you feel alive, feel alive. It's happening in Israel all over, by the way, right now. I said there's no such thing as a secular Jew. The spiritual awakening, that spiritual awakening. Soldiers, just yesterday I met with somebody. 
is connected to an organization that for years has been giving out tefillin to soldiers. On average, gave out a thousand a year. Wow. What do you think they've given the last four months? The request and they can't meet it? So far, 30,000 pairs of tefillin. It's actually starting a program. Now we're going to share it. There are people who've passed away, left their tefillin, they're not being used, people got new tefillin. There are kosher tefillin that are sitting in cabinets that soldiers could be putting on every day. Tens of thousands of them, we gotta collect them and find them and distribute them. Where does that come from? A soldier who has no idea what's written in the tefillin, has no idea what the tefillin are about, doesn't know why they wanna put them on, but is now saying, can I get a pair of tefillin? I wanna wear tzitzis. 2,000 pairs we tied here, hundreds of thousands for the soldiers. Where's that coming from? Where's that coming from? The Jew has become, that Jew inside us is awake, has become awakened, has become aroused, has become, it's the truest part of who we are, and it feels so much better in the most authentic and lasting way than any happiness we had from a life that was free of those Torah and mitzvahs. So that Mitzrayim, the Klippa, this time of the year, Shovavim, Shmoz Ve'era Bo B'Shalach Yisra Mishpatim, we're trying to get ourselves, I said we were going to push, we're not going to make it. So we'll have to finish this next week, which will be the week after Mishpatim. So it's still... But this, we have to get to how. How do you do it? How do, we, how do we do it? How do you do it? But you want to press play and watch the thing you shouldn't watch. You want to eat the thing you shouldn't eat. You want to say the thing. You want to forward the thing you shouldn't forward. You want to... How do you do it? How do you do it? We know it's inside us. We can have it. So we can go to Israel for our year right now. Everyone back to Yeshiva and seminary. We wish we had that luxury. But even if you can't, how can you connect? How can we do it? Pick up with that. And Mirza Hashem, next time should be a good day for Am Yisrael.